I'm Maureen Natura, and you're listening to the Positive Fantastic Podcast. My guest today, Loretta Bruning, founded the Inner Mammal Institute. She has spent the last decade really looking at the ways that our brains are wired and how that relates to our mammalian ancestors. She's created a podcast of her own to help share ways to support folks on their journeys to rewiring called the Happy Brain Podcast. The good news, folks, is that we are capable of making big, profound changes in our lives. The harder news is that it takes time, commitment, and discipline. Part of what makes us human, though, is our capacity to rewire, retrain, and recreate our brains to be in service to more consciousness. In this episode, Loretta explains the role of the different feel-good chemicals in our brain. Serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin, and also endorphins have historic roles in helping keep us alive. Also, she breaks down the role that's the stress hormone. Also, she breaks down the role that the stress chemical, cortisol, plays in our survival. Looking at the ways that these chemicals served our mammalian ancestors gives us greater perspective about the ways that we have evolved to use these chemicals. And Loretta's work with the Inner Mammal Institute is all about how we can use this knowledge to live better in the here and now. In my own life and reflections, I'm somewhat of a perennial seeker, looking to grow. And I'm so impressed by the research that Loretta has done. I hope that you'll enjoy your conversation, that it will shed some light for you onto how we are collectively wired, and about how we can understand what that means for our continued evolution. Here's Alice DiMaselli with her rendition of The Monkey and the Engineer to get our mammalian brains engaged for this happy brain edition of The Positive Fantastic. Once upon a time there was an engineer Drove a locomotive both far and near Accompanied by a monkey who would sit on a stool Watching everything the engineer would do One day the engineer wanted a bite to eat He left the monkey sitting on the driver's seat Monkey pulled the throttle, locomotive jumped the gun And did 90 miles an hour down the main line run Big locomotive, right on time Big locomotive coming down the line Big locomotive number nine and nine And left the engineer with the worry in mind The engineer called up the dispatcher on a phone To tell him all about his locomotive was gone Get on a wire, switch operator to right Cause the monkey's got the main line sort of tight Switch operator got the message in time Said there's a northbound limit on the same main line Open up the switch, I'm gonna let him through the hole Cause the monkey's got the locomotive under control Big locomotive, right on time Big locomotive coming down the line Big locomotive number 99 And left the engineer with the worry in mind Big locomotive, 
right on time. Big locomotive coming down the line. Big locomotive number 99. And left the engineer with the worry in mind. Today I'm hanging out with Loretta Bruning in Oakland, California, and we're going to be talking about her foundation, the Inner Mammal Institute. Um, welcome. Hi, nice to be here. Yeah, so we actually, this is our first day meeting in person, but we've been going back and forth through email for the last couple of weeks about uh, a question you had regarding this viability of goats who are domesticated getting into the wild. And I'm a resident goat person in my reality. <laughs> and so people direct a lot of goat questions to me. And so I, I wrote you a small thesis of an answer by email. And uh, yeah, in short, it depends on how, how well trained those goats have been to forage for themselves, if there's really large predators in the area, things like that. But uh, yeah, you actually have created a whole life for the last decade about studying mammals and the various brain chemicals that uh, we share in common with our mammalian ancestors and the ways that we're, we're able to, as humans, <laughs> control them in, in different ways for our own benefit. So I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to talk to an animal person. Can you share about the Inner Mammal Institute and what you've created there? Sure, thanks. Um, well, I've studied psychology my whole life, and like everyone, we're trying to understand our emotional ups and downs and how to have more ups. And I took early retirement from a long career as a college professor, and I was ha having more time to study this and was very shocked when I learned that the chemicals that make us feel good are the same in animals. And in animals, they turn on for reasons that are sort of obvious in terms of the animal's own survival actions. And animals don't have like the self-restraint to um, like hold back and veto their own impulses. Right. They also don't have a verbal brain to do splaining of their impulses, you know? Mm -hmm. So they're a great way for us to learn about our impulses even though it doesn't necessarily lead to the conclusion that people want to hear. So I just keep studying animals in whatever opportunity I have. And then I also keep finding new ways to communicate this to people in all different forms of resources. Awesome. And some of the things that you really are looking at are the, the happy chemicals. So like oxytocin, dopamine, our endorphins, serotonin. And then also our less happy chemicals, uh, cortisol, you know, the, and the ways that those different chemicals create different opportunities for us to create new neural pathways, right? So we, as humans, have this opportunity to observe our behavior and have a reflection. Like you said, we're not, we're not the goat who's in the wild, who's making choices about survival. We have some comfort and some security and some opportunity for more reflection on our choices. Yeah, so here's the, the big complication. It's, we're always asking ourselves, you know, how much is learned and how much is innate? And that was behind the question I brought to you because 
when you study like animals that are usually domesticated mm -hmm. and then if you have a wild version of that animal so domesticated goats versus wild goats domesticated pigs versus feral pigs mm -hmm. so that's like an interesting opportunity <laughs> to look at you know what is learned and what is innate mm -hmm. so that that was at the core of my questions and yeah. so we ask ourselves often like why do I do these things that I don't necessarily want to do? Many people mm -hmm. find themselves repeating unwanted behavior, and yet then they still find themselves not being happy all the time, which is like the modern idea that you should be happy all the time. So the more I looked into this, the more I discovered between these extremes of nature and nurture is the reality that we're wired from early experience. So we're born with billions of neurons, but no connections between them. That's why a baby can't make sense of the world because it can't relate anything to its own past experience. And we accumulate experience each time something feels good or bad. Each time something triggers one of your happy chemicals or your unhappy chemicals, which is very primal, like just getting fed and getting warm. So neurons connect. And that turns the chemical on faster the next time. So every one of us is facing our adult life with a neural network built from our early experience. When you know that, then like everything makes sense. It's like, oh, so that's why I do this. And that's why this person does that. And that's why I feel good about X and bad about Y. But you may feel the opposite. Right, because we all come from different places. There's some usual things like we all have a propensity for sweet because breast milk is sweet. But then there's all the other variables, right? Like how was that relationship and how did it work out? And it's so exactly. complex. Yes. Yeah, we're complex humans. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so then the final step of all of this is when you know that your responses are just old neural pathways, then you know that you can build new ones. And if you know which is profound. Yeah. It's yeah. an opportunity for something to be different. And that's, yeah. that's kind of the, the thing that I get the most excited about in life is how can we evolve? Yeah. But the bottom line is that it's harder to rewire than you think. Certainly. And so that's why I'm so interested in understanding, you know, where the wiring comes from and what it takes to rewire. Awesome. Part of what drew me to you and wanting to do a podcast here on The Positive Fantastic was the footer to the email that had been forwarded to me about the goat question had something at the bottom called a dopamine crawl. And I thought, how cool is this person? <laughs> They've organized an event called the dopamine crawl. I'm in. I, a sight unseen. <laughs> I wanted to be part of your, your world. So yeah, maybe we can talk a little bit more about these chemicals and uh, the happening. I mean, in my life, it's funny. I talk about them a lot. I talk about you know, I'm an oxytocin junkie. I like to spend time touching my friends and cuddling and holding hands and, and, and dopamine. You know, it's just like these things that I feel like are part and parcel of my daily rhetoric. So I'm, I'm excited to hear more about what you have to say about them. Thank you. Thank you. And well, may I say immodestly, I hope that I was instrumental in making them part of your daily rhetoric because... Yeah. I first wrote about this 10 years ago, so I feel like everybody else is talking about it because I started it. Before that, it was just so medicalized. 
things. Mm. But the bottom line is, when you look at what triggers these chemicals in animals, um, it's not the same as the message you get in the sort of the wellness world. Mm -hmm. Because the wellness world is based on this Rousseauian model, which is that nature is all happy and peace and love, and happiness is, is the default state of nature, and we should have these happy chemicals all the time, and the reason we don't is because society messed things up. Mm. But the reality is that animals have tons of conflict. Yeah. And um, one fabulous learning experience for me about that was the goat walk that I went on with your ex-husband, and he was really good at explaining both the, uh, the herd behavior and the herd conflict mm -hmm. with those goats. And when you study this species and this species, and it's like the same pattern in every one of them, and then everyone can think of in their own life that they are maybe in this group, and then there's constantly conflict within the group, conflict between groups, and so this is useful to understand. Yeah. So dopamine, let's start with the chemicals one at a time. So dopamine is the excitement that you feel when you anticipate a reward. And again, in the happy talk worldview that you get on the internet or in academic psychology, you're told that you're not supposed to care about rewards. But everybody obviously cares about rewards. <laughs> and so you need to understand your brain instead of having these ideological things about what you should think. So what is a reward is anything that triggered your happy chemicals in your past and the bigger it was triggered, the bigger the neural pathway built. Mm -hmm. So that's why like one person had a really good experience that was linked to this, and another person had a really good experience that was linked to that. So you're very excited about this, and I'm very excited about that. Mm -hmm. But we all have the same problem, which is we think, oh, if I get more of that, then I'll be happy. But in reality, <laughs> Our brain habituates to rewards that we already have. Mm -hmm. So I'm wired to search for whatever made me happy in the past. Then when I get it, it doesn't make me happy because I habituated. So then I want more and more because dopamine only lasts for a short time. So we seek more and more. But there are thousands of ways to stimulate it, but I only know the ways that I've experienced and you only know the ways that you've experienced. So a simple example would be, let's say, well, you feeling bad today? Well, go paint a picture. But, well, maybe you're not wired to enjoy painting a picture. Mm -hmm. If you went to paint a picture, you'd just get frustrated and annoyed. <laughs> so it's we have billions of neurons, but we all rely on the pathways we have. And a simple way of uh, understanding that is nobody is born speaking any language at all. And then every one of us gets wired to speak a certain language or more than one maybe. So yeah. you, but when you learn that native language, those are just pathways that you built from repetition. Mm -hmm. You weren't aware of building them. And then once you built them, the words come to you so easily that you don't even know that you learned it. So it's the same with your emotions, that the emotions I learned when I was young come to me so easily that I don't even realize they were learned. And that's why I like X and you like Y. And it's like, oh, I wish I liked X. How can I make myself like X? 
Well, it's as hard as learning a foreign language. Right, we're unconsciously competent in our mother tongue and at doing our own reality and habit body, but we have to become consciously competent at taking on a new skill or changing a neural pathway. Yeah, and it takes a lot of repetition, which is yeah. unfun. <laughs> <laughs> it can be, it's hard, it's work. It, it requires efforting, yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the other chemicals, so oxytocin. So you've probably heard the concept that oxytocin is the love chemical or the bonding hormone, people say, and a lot of people have heard about its role in maternal labor and lactation. And I'll just give you this mind-blowing animal example that I learned. In reptiles, they have oxytocin when they are pushing out an egg. That muscle that pushes out the egg is triggered by oxytocin, yeah. which is just like human babies. That's when we release oxytocin yeah. when we give birth. But then um, reptiles have it during sex, and that lasts for 10 seconds. And the rest of a reptile's life is like, if you get near me, I'll eat you. Right, yeah. <laughs> so that gives the simplest example of oxytocin's job is like just that I could tolerate being around you, uh -huh, uh -huh. <laughs> you in general. <laughs> and so um, we hear about animals being in herds, but really if you stick with the herd all the time, then you have to eat grass that has been peed on, which animals don't want and they really know the difference. Yes. So they prefer to space out. And then there's less getting horns in your face when you're going for food. Breathing room, yeah. Exactly. But if you get too distanced from the herd, then you're instantly picked off by predators. Right. So an animal is constantly making that trade-off of how much do I want to space out and how much do I want to cluster? Mm -hmm. And this is exactly the decision that we're all making every day. So for the next five minutes of my life, do I want to spend it doing more of my own thing or doing more of approaching others? And then the next five minutes. So that's basically what we're always deciding. And oxytocin is the good feeling that rewards you when you, when you have this effective social bond. Mm -hmm. But it's not designed to just flow all the time for no reason, because if it did, then you would buy used cars from strangers and you're not meant <laughs> to trust everybody all the time. Unfortunately, it, yeah. Yeah, it's just not meant to work that way. Yeah. So it is literally the feeling of, I can lower my guard. It's safe to lower my guard. And you only want to do that when it's safe to lower your guard. So how do you know when it's safe? And the answer is, with oxytocin pathways built from your own past experience. And so my past experience might be a good guide in some ways, but no one's past experience is ever a perfect guide because your past experience was a childhood and that cannot predict the adult world. Mm -hmm. So that's one whole complication. Then another whole complication is, um, so in the human world, we have unrealistic expectations. Like if in the animal world, you have social alliances where I protect you and you protect me. Now, when you're a child, 
you don't have to really earn the protection of your parents because you are, just by your existence, you're protecting the survival of their genes. And when they invest in you, they're investing in the survival of their genes. That's not conscious intent, but in every evolutionary psychology course introduction, you learn this. So in the state of nature, your parents die when you're young. And in order to survive, you have to form new attachments. Mm -hmm. And so you have to, partly you have to make wise judgments about those attachments, but also you have to face the fact that not everybody will attach to you. Because, well, so a great way I learned about this is nature videos. And they show like the little monkey leaving home and he tries to get adopted in a new group and they don't want him. So he has to check on it and he tries another group. And the David Attenborough's early series was just great um, explanations of this. Mm-hmm. So you could see how every human is like, you know, will, will you let me be in, my, in your group? Will you let me be in your group? And the way monkeys do it is they groom the fur of the other monkey. Right. Yeah. And when you groom their fur, you want them to groom your fur in exchange. But they don't all the time. And this is, in human life, why people often get upset. And I call um, unrealistic expectations. You think, well, I groomed your fur and you didn't groom my fur. <laughs> but in fact, we're not very objective judges of how much did I really groom your fur and how much did you really groom my fur. So this is what a lot of my work is about. Fascinating. Just as a segue for a minute, would you speak into the bonobos? Because that's something that I, I was an anthropologist in college, and I know we talked a lot about them and kind of the the opinion of are we closer to um, you know chimpanzees that were in the Jane Goodall world who were kind of conditioned by being fed bananas and so they were they were creating a situation that they were observing them that was not as natural and then we drew a lot of conclusions and then there's also the bonobos who for people that aren't familiar they're also kind of our close mammalian kin and they resolve conflicts a lot of the time through Genital <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they, um, but for sh- like a few seconds, right? But it's like we moved. Let's have sex. Let's, uh, oh, you know, there's a food shortage. Let's have sex. Yes, oh, like exactly. The weather's it, weird. Let's ease, have sex to ease tension. What is weird? Oh, the weather's the weird. weather's weird. Yeah. So anything, yes, whenever you know? they're stressed. Yes. Yes. But, and a big example that I think of it is, um, if you and I are in a branch and I want to move past you on this branch to get to some fruit and you may not want to move aside and let me past and I really want that fruit so I will rub your genitals to ease lubricate the situation (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't have put it better (laughs) yeah so that's what bonobos are known for Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) um, however again People are looking to idealize animals in a way that overlooks the whole story. So mm-hmm. the way, one way I explain it is, if I, if I have to rub your genitals in order for you to not bite me, I don't call that peace and love. You know? Certainly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so in order to explain this, uh, well, first I'll give you a simple example, and then I'll go into the next chemical, because that explains it very well. Every mammalian group has a social hierarchy, and they invest a lot of energy in trying to push up their position in the social hierarchy. 
Yeah. And bonobos do it in an interesting way. And many people who talk about them, they just want to focus on the parts of the story they like and not focus on the parts of the story mm -hmm. they don't the like. Gestalt, yeah. So here's the deal. A number of mammalian species are matriarchal, mm -hmm. and people have an idealized vision of what that means. But in most cases, matriarchal species, the females are quite violent. So there's not like this, oh, we would have peace and love if females ran the world, mm -hmm. which is what people want to project onto this. Mm -hmm. So in bonobos, so in every species, there's how much bigger are the males than the females, and that shapes a lot of the behavior. So in bonobos, the males are only 10% bigger than the females. So any two females can get together and take out a male. <laughs> so you could say that this creates female cooperation. <laughs> um, because there's not a lot of sexual dimorphism. Exactly. Right. And so the females do cooperate, but like in all monkeys and other primates that we live with in daily life, that often the cooperation is about taking down a third party. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, how does a young mammal climb the hierarchy in a world like this? Well, it's mind-blowing to me, but the observation in the wild is that um, the female bonobos compete to have sex with the sons of the higher ranking females. <laughs> so um, what makes it so mind blowing is that in every species they study, animals are really strategic about which partners they choose. And they're always choosing in a way that helps them rise in the hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And so this is just one more manifestation of that. It's opportunistic oxytocin acquisition, <laughs> yeah. not just in isolation. Yeah. So serotonin really explains a lot of this hierarchical competitive behavior, which is not at all what people hear about serotonin in the context of antidepressants, which is where we really hear about it. And I should mention that um, dopamine is the same chemical as cocaine. Serotonin is the same basically as antidepressant. Endorphin we'll get to is basically an opioid. And oxytocin is, you could say sex and ecstasy, I guess. Mm -hmm. So um, animals um, form social hierarchies to protect themselves from getting bitten by stronger individuals. Mm. So if I see a piece of food and I go for it, but you're near me and you're stronger and you think, well, that's my food and you bite me. So I really don't want to get bitten because I could get a permanent injury and die. So when I'm young, I'm always getting bitten by these stronger individuals and a bite, it triggers cortisol which creates a, cord a pain pathway. So the next time I see an individual who's stronger than me, I pull back. Whoa, I'm gonna stay away from them. But then I'll starve to death if I never assert myself for a piece of food. So I have to find an opportunity where I'm in the position of strength. So the mammal brain is constantly comparing itself to others 
and noticing, am I in a position of strength or a position of weakness? And if I'm in the position of weakness, cortisol is released. And if I'm in the position of strength, serotonin is released. So serotonin is the good feeling, you could say confidence or pride or like, I got it going on is mm -hmm. what we like to think. But I'm strong enough to assert myself in this moment. And it feels good and it feels relaxing because I know that I'm going to get the banana, so I'm not going to starve. Right. So, because it feels good, we'd like to have it all the time, but it's not meant to be on all the time. If it were, then little monkeys would go around acting like jerks and get bitten, and <laughs> then they'd get paralyzed. That would be the end of that. Yeah. yeah. And even when you manage to release it, it only lasts a short time, and then it's reabsorbed. So we are just not designed to have it every minute of every day. Mm -hmm. But somehow it has been sold to us that we should have this good feeling every minute of every day. And, and it's natural for us to want it all the time. That's why every animal is so motivated to keep seeking it because it feels so good that we want it. Mm -hmm. Now in the state of nature, you're so busy finding food and warmth and water that you only have a, and running from predators that you only have a limited amount of energy left to invest in trying to be a big shot. But in the modern world, where those basic needs are met with very little effort, then we tend to have more energy to spend on this. But it's become a kind of taboo, and everybody's like, oh, I don't care about being in the one-up position. You're the one who cares about being in the one-up position. I'm just trying to get what's fair after you took it away from me, which is the mindset that's created by the fact that our human cortex doesn't understand our own inner mammal because it can't process words because it's an animal brain. I didn't mm. go into that part yet. So that's why everybody thinks that everybody else is trying to one-up them and doesn't acknowledge their own one-upping impulses. Mm. So endorphin is the same as um, opioid. It, the word means endogenous morphine. And our brain releases it in response to physical pain. And it masks pain with a good feeling so that you have a few moments to save your life. So for example, if a lion attacks you and rips your flesh open, and you can see on nature videos, like how can they run even while they're all ripped and having a lion's hanging from them, but they endorphins. endorphins, exactly. Yeah. And so it creates a good feeling and we like this feeling all the time, but we are not designed to have that good feeling all the time. It's only- We're not supposed for, to get ripped open by lions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's only triggered by real physical pain and we're not designed to inflict pain on ourselves to trigger it. Mm -hmm. And it, we're not meant to have it all the time. And even when you're injured, it only lasts for a few minutes because we need to be aware of pain in order to protect our injuries. Mm -hmm. And so in the animal world, you get like about 15 minutes of, of grace period, you know, right. and that's usually enough to either escape or die with morphine. You know? And you're not like dwelling on the happiness in those moments. You know, it's not, again, it's like we have this pop culture buzz around what these things mean, but really like, you're just trying to survive. You're getting yourself out of acute exactly. danger. Yes, so a simple example would be if you were um, a caveman and you broke your leg, 
and you had to call for help, you know, so endorphin gives you a little bit of window, but you don't want to be running on a broken leg. Right. Now, in our daily lives, what happened to me, like if I fall and people say, are you okay? And I say, yeah, I'm fine. And then I get up and walk around. And then 15 minutes later, I'm like, wow, I'm really injured. I'm not okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. So that's endorphin doing its job. So I always explain that we're designed to seek the other chemicals, but we're not designed to seek endorphin. Mm -hmm. But people do seek it. And um, there's no good crisis. Uh, yeah, but also there's a lot of people who exercise to the point of pain mm -hmm. and who promote that lifestyle is like, this is the way to be happy, which I think is just stupid and starving yourself also, yeah. also triggers endorphin when you starve yourself. And so I'll just give some other um, good and bad examples. So one funny one. Hot pepper, I think, triggers a little bit of endorphin. Mm -hmm. and but then you quickly habituate, and so then you need more hot pepper, mm -hmm. which shows that this treadmill impulse is just a natural part of our brain and our life, that we habituate to whatever we have and we seek more, but more would not necessarily be good for us, so we have to be aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And But everybody wants to know like a fast, easy way. Thank you for not rushing me. You know, everybody wants to start like in the next five minutes, give me the simple way to hack all of them. <laughs> so, but I, that's not it's a my... lifetime work, right? Yeah. Rewiring re your brain. Cause it took that first seven years, we made a bazillion neuro connections that are pretty paved highways is how I like to think about it. And yeah. then we're, we're like bushwhacking. <laughs> it takes time. If you've ever bushwhacked, I have a lot. You're out there with your machete, you're in the jungle, things grow back fast. And you're exactly. like constantly treading that trail and walking it all the time in order to even have it be anything resembling an actual pathway. Thank you. Perfect. Yes. Yes. It's um, possible. It's possible. It's possible. But so the simple, the only healthy way to stimulate endorphin that I know of is laughter. Mm. Um, you only get a little bit, but it activates muscles that don't get used much. And so you get a little, but then you can always laugh more and get more. Uh -huh. Sustainable so. endorphins. Yeah, awesome. exactly. Yeah. So far you've been covering the so-called happy chemicals, but there's also cortisol, which has a super important evolutionary role in our mammalian development as well. Yeah, so cortisol is the threat chemical that causes a bad feeling. Um, people today often call it the stress chemical. And it tells an animal when to run to save its life. And in the animal world, it's, it gives you the message to act fast until the threat is gone. But in the modern world, if you, because we have a big brain that can create threats that are not immediately present, and then you're like, whoa, I got to do something to make it go away. So cortisol's job is to dominate your attention because an animal, when there's a predator, it shouldn't have its mind wander. It should only focus on the predator. So that's why if you create a threat in your brain, 
then you can't think about anything else. Mm -hmm. Now, when a gazelle smells a predator, it doesn't just run immediately. First, it has to gather information and say, where is the predator? So I don't run in the wrong direction. So when you feel stressed, you are gathering information about the threat. And then you only see bad things. You say, I thought she was mad at me. Oh, yeah, there's evidence, there's evidence, there's evidence. Mm. I knew you were mad at me. And then you create this whole crisis that you talk yourself into. And then, the, to make it more complicated, cortisol lasts in your body for about an hour. So during that whole hour, you're physically feeling bad. So you're convinced there's got to be something wrong oh, wow. because I feel bad. Right. The other ones are shorter duration. Exactly. This one has a big whammy. Exactly. And so you could get into a cortisol loop, which is, I feel bad, so I look for evidence of something bad, and that makes me feel bad more, and so then I look for evidence more, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So I write a lot about managing this cortisol spiral. And if you don't mind, I'll just, so many people ask me, what about adrenaline? So I'll mm -hmm. explain the difference between cortisol and adrenaline. Yeah. So adrenaline is, you could just call it like an alarm bell um, that says, urgent, stop what you're doing and pay attention to this input. But it doesn't say that it's a bad input or a good input. It's before you've decided that something is bad or good. Mm. So... Um, I use a simple example. If I hear a noise, what's that noise? Maybe it's something good. It's like, oh, so so-and-so has come home to visit me. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it's a burglar breaking into the house. So that first moment, like I freeze and I pay attention, that's adrenaline. So I say that uh, like happy chemicals are putting the gas and unhappy chemicals are the brake. Mm -hmm. But adrenaline is just paying attention to it. Okay, interesting. And um, it's precognitive. You're saying it just it comes up. It's like your sensory awareness is engaged so that you can assess: Am I safe? Am I not safe? Yes. Yes. Exactly. And or and what is that? Mm -hmm. And then maybe talk about when I'm deciding what is that. This is real electricity that my senses have triggered. And if you think of electricity as a flow, like the flow of water, where does water flow into the pathways that are already the channels that are already developed by past experience? Right. So if I see a potential threat and I experienced a certain threat in my own past, that's a big channel in my brain. So it goes effortlessly flows in there and it's like, oh yes, this is another one of those darn blankety blanks. Mm. And that's where you go and then you find the evidence and you're absolutely sure that this is yet another example of blah, blah, blah. Retraumatization, yeah. <laughs> So today's PSA is about the InterMammal Institute, and you have a vast worth of resources out there. You've been doing this for 10 years. This is 2023 is the 10th year anniversary of the Institute. And in addition to uh, this podcast, you have your own podcast that you actually put out already and work on and update and have lots of cool interviews on. And you also have uh, various video series and uh, lots of books too. So you're quite an accomplished study at what you've been doing. Thank you. 
So I was fortunate to take early retirement and I wrote a lot of books about this. So the core book that introduces all of this is called Habits of a Happy Brain, Retrain Your Brain to Boost Your Dopamine, Serotonin, Oxytocin, and Endorphin Levels. And that is focused on how you can yeah, retrain and build new neural pathways to turn on each of the happy chemicals in a healthy way. And then I have other books, The Science of Positivity, which is about how to shift from the unhappy to the happy on an individual level and to understand the role of the herd and why negativity is so prevalent in a herd and how you can go positive even when the herd is negative. Hmm. Now, um, and then I have a book called Tame Your Anxiety, and then uh, which is all about cortisol, and another book called Status Games, which is all about serotonin and how to rewire yourself to have more of the good feeling of, it, of serotonin without constant status seeking, but also the self-acceptance of knowing that your brain is going to keep going there. So you have to keep managing it. I made some series of short videos. Um, it's called youhaveoweroveryourbrain.com. And they help you, especially it's good for when you have a bad habit and you want to create a good habit to replace the bad habit. It shows you how to do that. But also it's fun to watch and short so you could watch it with a young person or somebody who doesn't want to read a book or doesn't even want to learn about their brain mm -hmm. because it's fun to watch. And um, I created a new course for somebody who really wants to do it. And um, it's um, a series of lectures and fun videos that makes it really easy step-by-step step to understand what um, what your unique individual old pathways are and what unique individual new pathways you'd like to build. First to have all of the good chemicals and then in the end I apply it to what I call tough topics, which is love, money, parenting, politics, and addiction. Mm. And I have a five-day happy chemical jumpstart which is uh, five free emails, one a day for five days, if you sign up on my mailing list when you go to my website. Awesome. And that's your website? InnerMammalInstitute.org. Perfect. Thank you so much. Since we're on the positive fantastic today, I wanted to ask you to flesh out a little bit more the ways that we can move towards positivity with all of the negativity in our adult human herds. <laughs> Sure. So some philosophical answers and some practical answers. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Which one would you rather start with? <laughs> Ooh, um, we'll go with philosophy first and then we'll go into okay. practicality later. <laughs> okay. So first I talked about the self-acceptance that comes from knowing that my brain is designed to create threats and to get me to focus on threats. And my brain is uh, designed to create abstract, like anticipate future threats, even when they don't exist now. And the safer I am, the more of my energy I invest in creating abstract future threats and then running from them. And also that the threats I create, they feel so real to me. But if I really look at 
my early threats, I'm like, oh, they just happen to match. Uh-huh. That my the threats I see today just happen to fit the template of my early threats. And it's hard to see in yourself because we're so good at finding evidence. And I'm so sure that my fears are, are valid. But if I go and interview a lot of people and find out what their fears are and then what their early life was like, it's like, oh my God, they're just creating their childhood. And they're just creating their childhood. So I guess I'm just recreating my childhood. So when you know that... It's a common path. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when you know that, then it just frees you to say, oh, I don't have to be doing this, mm-hmm. but also have the, the self-acceptance to know, to not hate yourself for having already done that because it's, it's okay. just... It's normal. It's just the way things work because yeah. in the past, people died young. So they had babies when they were 16 and they had to keep those babies alive. They didn't have birth control. The babies kept coming. And then by the time they were like 35, then the grandchildren started coming and then they died. So they didn't have all of this space. I'd be a crone. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I love it. So they didn't have all the space to to think, oh, I'm going to start over. Everything I learned is wrong. No, it's like everything you learn, if you ignore it, you're not going to find food for tomorrow. So it got them through the survival. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, so then if you think, well, I want to be happier more often. Mm-hmm. So the way to do that, that people are learning is like to condemn everything around them, which I think is very unhelpful. And part of not feasible. Yeah. <laughs> and part of that condemning everything around them is like, well, society should shape up and then I'll just be happy all the time. It will come effortlessly to me. No, our happy chemicals are not designed to be on all the time. They never come effortlessly. So no perfect society will give them to you effortlessly. So if you want them in your life, you have to create those neural pathways. And even when you do, they never work forever because whatever good you have, you habituate to that. And then like just a cliche, I use the example of painting. But then the painter gets a few minutes of pleasure out of it, but then they get annoyed. They think their painting isn't good enough, or people don't love it enough, or they're bored with their painting. So you try a different kind of painting. But when you try something new, then you feel like you're not good at it. So these are the loops that our brain creates. And if you're an athlete, it's the same thing. It's like, well, you keep doing the same thing, but then I've been world champion for five years. So now I want to be champion of the universe. So you, you just have to accept that treadmill aspect mm-hmm. of your brain and make peace with your inner mammal is what I call it. Mm-hmm. And you have to do it yourself, for yourself, to yourself, and stop keeping inventory for other people and how they should do it mm-hmm. because they're not going to listen to you. And it's hard to do for yourself. And normally, and they have their own uh, patterning that they've created. Exactly. Yeah. And the more you try to tell them what is wrong with them, the less you're focused on your own pattern. So that leads us to think, yeah, but the reason I'm unhappy is because what is what they're doing. And if they would only do X, Y, and Z, then I would be happy. 
So that's the first thought loop that you have to get rid of. That's like a primitive snare. It's just going to yeah. catch you. Yeah. It's not going to get you. So that's, and so that takes us from the theoretical to the practical, nice. you know, yeah. just nice. Nice let go of that. Um, and just like, just focus. And the way, a simple way I think about it is if I imagine that this is my path to happiness and that person is blocking my path and I'm screwed. I can't do anything until they stop blocking my path. Well, that's a bad way of visualizing life. Instead, mm. to think there are 10 or 20 or 100 paths to happiness, and if this person is blocking that path, then I'll try some other path. That's or all. infinite, really. Yeah, I mean, exactly. The sky's the limit. Yeah. So don't invest them in your mind with the power to block your path to happiness, but you'll just find some other path. Now, that's one practical, but another practical is you manufacture your happy chemicals while you're sleeping. So if you don't get enough sleep, then you're not going to be happy. Mm. So even if good things happen to you, maybe you've noticed this, like you had a bad night's sleep, and then you actually had a pretty good day, but you can't feel good about it. You physically can't feel good about it because you don't have like the reserves of happy chemicals. So that's like your top priority. Mm. So that's key. I'm going to tell my teenager that <laughs> yeah. who stays up late. <laughs> yeah, and they don't want to listen. And so, but then either if they sleep late, which I don't know if they have school, whatever, take a nap, whatever it is, come home from school, take a nap, whatever you got to do. Or if they think, well, I'm going to miss out on the cool stuff unless I stay late. But often they're staying up late because they're oppositional. And so if they know that they're doing it for themselves, you know, so, um, so here's another tip with parenting. Mirror neurons are so important. So mirror neurons were discovered, and you may have read about this, mm -hmm. like, so animals, when they observe another animal getting a reward, that activates mirror neurons. So I'm a monkey and I want to crack open this nut. And it's so hard. And I try and try and try and I can't do it. So I watch you do it. And that literally helps my muscles to activate the same gestures that worked for you. So that's how they learn. And that's how we learn. So our kids learn from us and they learn from what we do. So often, like if you tell your kid to go to bed early, but then you have bad sleep hygiene, mm. they're going to learn from what you do rather than what you say. Right. And often they're going to resist what you say and learn more from what you do. So you're better off mirroring, modeling for them your mm -hmm. own sleep hygiene rather totally. than telling them what to do. And also they're going to learn modeling, mirroring their friends because they would rather learn from someone other than you who is higher in their social hierarchy because their survival depends on getting accepted into a new troop mm -hmm. and rising in that hierarchy. So any way you could expose them to someone that has status for them who also has good sleep hygiene, that would be like the <laughs> ideal, you know. A perfect friend, yeah. Yeah. Not an easy task. Right. Which is, but that's, you know. So, and one more practical thing. So I never listen to the news. The news is designed to get you upset. And everyone I know, like how many people do you know who's like a news junkie and they're always upset. And then once again, they don't take responsibility for their own brain. It's the world's fault that I'm upset. 
the world is messed up, we're living in bad times. And another, like, I love to study history because it's like, wow, people have always been crazy. <laughs> Society has always been crazy. Right. So you just have to manage your own brain, stop cursing the world. And um, my favorite hobby is I read autobiographies, biographies in general. And you see what somebody else's life was like. Mm -hmm. And it's so fascinating to see like somebody who's famous and you think, oh, they must have been happy all the time. But they were not. They're human. Yeah. And they got dumped on by the world. And they kept trying anyway. And usually they were not appreciated until long after they did what you know them for or even right. after they died. Yes. So if they wouldn't have done it unless they got applause all the time, then they wouldn't have done anything. So people have gotten the idea today like that the world should be applauding you all the time and you shouldn't be expected to do anything unless people are applauding you all the time. And it's a very unhealthy and unrealistic expectation. Thank you so much, Loretta, for being on The Positive Fantastic and telling us about how we can be more aware of our chemical motivations and also reap the benefits of being conscious humans that can make new neural pathway choices. Thanks so much for having me and thanks for the great questions. tuning into this episode of the Positive Fantastic Podcast. I'm Maureen Natura, and you can reach me by checking out my website, www.maureenatura.com. You can read about upcoming author events or sign up for my email list to stay up to date with the content that I create. If you go to www.maureenatura.com slash the Positive Fantastic, you can link directly to any of the podcast episodes that have already been published and see short summaries describing each episode. I'm on social media, and you can follow me on Facebook on my page, Maureen Natura Author. You can follow me on Instagram at Author Maureen Natura. You can also follow my TikTok handle at Maureen Natura. Check out my channel at youtube.com at Maureen Natura to see a video of Loretta describing the chemicals and their effects on our brain. You can check out www.innermammalinstitute.org for more information about all of Loretta's offerings. She has something called the Happy Brain Podcast, and she's published several books about how you can train your brain, and you can learn more about all the ways that she's helping us figure out our mammalian instincts. You can follow her on social media, Loretta Bruning PhD on Facebook, at Inner Mammal on Twitter, at Inner Mammal Institute on YouTube. Special appreciation to Alice DiMaselli for her recording of The Monkey and the Engineer at the beginning of this episode. You can visit her website, www.alicedimaselli.com to learn more about her music. This episode of The Positive Fantastic has been brought to you on the fall equinox. I hope you'll join us for information about breast cancer awareness at the end of October. Cheers, and may your journey to train your brain be fantastic. <laughs>